0: America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. This week's episode of Leader of the Pack is brought to you by our friends at Fairbolt Mill. We've recently incorporated a new brand into our Duluth Pack store, and I've got to tell you, I'm loving it. And when I say new, I mean founded in 1865 new. Many of you are probably familiar with Fairbolt Mill, the oldest manufacturer in the state of Minnesota and maker of beautiful wool and now cotton blankets, throws and other accessories. You gotta see their Great Lakes map throw. It is super cool. And if you're not familiar with them, you need to be. Like Duluth Pack, these are products that are made to last for generations. Check the incredible assortment online at Fairbolt Mill, F-A-R-I-B-A-U-L-T-M-I-L-L.com and in the Duluth Pack store. Hey everybody, this is Tom Siga from Duluth Pack and this is the leader of the pack, podcast and i got to tell you we have a special leader here today and this guy is is a leader of a large company jason vanderbrink president of ammunition at vista outdoors outdoor and he oversees federal cci spear remington and heavy shot what a huge title Jason, welcome.
1: Thanks, Tom. Good to be here, and uh, look forward to the podcast. Hear great things about it.
0: We're going to have some fun, and and JV has become a very good friend of mine, and so uh, we're probably going to poke a little fun at each other, folks, today. And and uh, but we really want to hear about you because you're in an industry that has absolutely had explosive growth. But we want to learn how you got to be at the helm of such a powerful company, and, and how did this all come to be? But let's go JV all the way back to the very beginning and, and where did you grow up and where did you go
1: to school and, and how did you get to this from your schooling? Yeah, so, so uh, kind of uh, certainly not the path that I had chosen when, when I was in high school, I always wanted to be a United States Secret Service agent. So I grew up in a very small rural town In northern Michigan, it's called Pinconning, Michigan, which for the record, it's the cheese capital of Michigan. So uh, that's the only thing we're known for (laughs) right on the Saginaw Bay. So we do uh, a lot of walleye and perch fishing there. But I grew up in a very, very small town. My grandparents raised me um, since I was four years old. So I grew up with my grandma and grandpa and my dad. And we have a farm, a small family farm um, in Michigan. I was just a a hardworking farm kid, um, and, uh, always had a love for the outdoors. I would much rather be outside than, uh, than doing something inside. So whether it be squirrel hunting with my dad or rabbit hunt with my grandpa, cutting wood with my grandpa, I grew up, we still heat the house to this day on wood. So I grew up cutting wood. So that is all I did in my spare time when it wasn't hunting season or, or shooting clay targets. But anyway, um. Fast forward to high school, always wanted to be a Secret Service agent. I just thought they were the elite of the law enforcement world. Um, And when I graduated high school, I I went to University of Wyoming for a year um, and then moved back home. Grandpa was getting old, um, needed help there. So I went and graduated from a university called Saginaw Valley State University. It's about 25,000 kids now. Um, and it's mainly a commuting school. It's not a, you know, it's grown into a much larger university than when I was there. But uh, it, it introduced me to the United States Secret Service in Saginaw, Michigan, which, which was a small office. Um, there was about six Secret Service agents there. And the lead agent was a guy by the name of Jack Johnson. I'll never forget Jack. And uh, it was during the, this would be in the year like 19... 96. I graduated high school in 1995. Um, In 1996, no, excuse me, Tom, 1998, I would have done a one-year internship with the Secret Service. And it really, it was like a lifelong dream that I could be doing an internship with an agency that I just adored and I studied. My undergraduate, believe it or not, is not business. My undergraduate is criminal justice. Um, so that's another weird turn. How do we get to where I am today? But uh, anyway, I did a, a one-year internship there, and President Clinton was, uh, was president back then, and he flew into Detroit for a, for a campaign stop one time. Got to, got to see how the, the presidential duties are. And if you remember back in that time, inkjet printers were the big thing. So the Secret Service's main mission is not protecting the president. At the time, they were under the Department of Treasury. And the reason why the Secret Service came to existence was counterfeit money during, during uh, Abraham Lincoln years, I believe. And anyway, so when you think of the Secret Service, you think of the guy guarding the president, which is the smallest of the small agents do that. 99% of their time is finding counterfeit money. So, here we are. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a farm kid. I'm, I'm in Saginaw, Michigan doing a one-year internship with the agency that I would love to work for someday. And all we're doing is looking at inkjet print counterfeit money. And I'm, Oh, and it's, you know, it's, it was really an eye opener and thank God I did the internship because I, I would have went in there thinking, I'm just going to go guard the president or the vice president, or had to stay and it's it wasn't that at all I mean I learned a ton from doing it but the the moral of the story is if it wasn't for that internship I would have I would have probably be a secret service agent today and it wouldn't have been what I was expected. So how I got into this side of the business is at the same time I was working because I had to pay my own way through college all, all of my college undergraduate graduate degrees I've had to pay for myself which I, I love it. It lets you appreciate it more. Um, but anyway, I worked for a big sporting goods store right on the Saginaw Bay in Linwood, Michigan, which is Frank's Great Outdoors. So Frank's is a big, big uh, uh, angling store and hunting store. So during high school, during college, I had to I had to work full time just to pay for college and I had to pay for our own car and have to do all that fun stuff. Um, but there was a guy by the name of Jerry Havel who so happens to be, he's a grouse guide now up in northern Minnesota, which is Pine Ridge Grouse Camps. Okay. Jerry at the time was a Remington rep. And uh, I I just have had a a passion for guns and ammo industry ever since I was a young man. I just enjoy guns and ammo. And Jerry had come in there and I've gotten to know Jerry because he'd come sell us all over the Remington products. And I was at the time a buyer for Frank's and I got to know Jerry real well. And Jerry came in one day and said, Hey, uh, I'm getting ready to go. I'm going to go work for federal, but there's going to be an opening under, uh, for Remington. He said, I think you'd be a good salesman. So I put my name in the hat and lo and behold, I'm a Remington salesman, my right out of college. So, um, you know from there it's just been a it's it's literally one of these days Tom I'm going to write a book on the American dream because I have lived the American dream and uh from there it's it's all of these um opportunities that you have to take advantage of you have to work hard you have to be ethical you got to be good you got to be a good steward of conservation and all that good stuff to where I'm at today but it all started from an internship with the secret service that didn't work out Because I I just didn't want to look at counterfeit money the rest of my life. So I I went the avenue, got in the industry right out of high school. And uh, from there, I am. Holy cow. But let's not cut yourself
0: short because you got your master's degree, which you had, had mentioned from Missouri State University, and then you also went on and completed uh, the University of Oxford Advanced Management Leadership Program in 2013. So, you know, don't cut yourself short that you're just going to be, you know, the regular old salesman. You've, you've uh, really advanced yourself and done a great job. So, you go on
1: with Big Green. I go on with Big Green. It was... Uh... You know, I grew up shooting a Remington 1100, as many hunters and shooters have done, 870s and at the time, core locked, right? Who who, who hasn't shot core locked ammo in their life? Um, so I got to become a salesman in Indiana and Michigan was my territory. Had a ball, um, just really, you know, I just enjoy, I mean, how can you call it a job when you're selling, you know, Remington, right? I mean, it's it's like a lifelong dream when growing up on a farm. And uh, it just, you know, from there, then the career, then you got to start thinking about where do you want to be in the next three or five years? You always got to think ahead, but you always have to work hard, right? You just have, and if you work really hard, you're going to put yourself in a pretty good position. You always think that you will always catch the breaks. And when you catch a break during a career, you got to take advantage of those breaks. When you get those breaks, you take advantage of it. You perform, you have great bosses and great mentors throughout the, throughout the life that you get to learn great connections. Um, and then lo and behold, three years into it, you know, I, I got asked if I would move to Springfield, Missouri and take care of Bass Pro Shops. Well, coming from uh, Northern Michigan, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, why not? Right. But it was, it was, uh, I had a great boss at the time, great mentor who, really wanted me to succeed as, as all bosses want their employees to succeed and ultimately take their job someday. Is how you should look at it. And I got to be on Bass Pro and it was a huge account at the time. And it still is to this day, a great partner, great conservation partner, and just a great, great customer. And then from there, I made the transition from um, Remington to federal. And my job at federal at the time was I had to take care of a, little account in northwest arkansas called walmart i had no idea how to deal with walmart i knew walmart was hard to deal with very critical um but but you know what it's again when you're given an opportunity you have to take it and take a risk that's what the american dream is take risk so i took a risk and i went into walmart and i i mean here i got some federal multi-purpose shotgun shells can i sell some to you was certainly not that basic, but um I just really liked calling on Walmart because it's very analytical. Um it is black and white, you know where you stand. Um and it's it's the big leagues, right? At the time Walmart was a huge customer. They still are to this day. But you know the moral of the story is at age 24, I was calling on a humongous account in the world and an, an enormous amount of ammunition gets sold through Walmart but I had no idea how to deal with it so I just had to live and breathe Walmart I had to figure out the metrics that the merchandisers are are uh, graded by how how sales per square inch is, is determined how gemroy is determined how turns are determined and what it did is not only open my eyes to selling to the most analytical company in the world but it also just taught me the financial aspect of the business. You know, just because something gets put on a shelf, there is a pile of analytics that have to take place before that happens. So you have to do the buyer's job for themselves because they're so overwhelmed, so much work, so, so few resources. And it, it allowed me to look at not only analytics and financial supply chain, you know, it's just, it was, a, it really was a graduate course that I lived and breathed every day. Master's degrees is one thing. I can tell you calling on Walmart for six months, you'll learn more than grad school will ever teach you.
0: You know, that's interesting, because you, you hit on a couple of things here. One is hard work. And I know you as a friend, you are one of the hardest workers that I've ever been around. And your successes throughout your whole career, we'll get into some more of those. Um, obviously, hard work, you need to be intelligent. But you also mentioned a couple times there, and I want to touch on it, is that you've had some really good bosses. And, you know, you are considered the boss at all of these ammunition companies. And, you know, at my companies, I'm I'm the boss. And I hate that word, to be honest, but but somebody gets that that title and everyone wants to be the good boss. In your definition, what was what did you really learn, JV, from those good bosses that helped set you up for the additional and and the rest of your
1: career? So a good a good boss in my mind, and, and throughout the I have a great boss today. Uh, very fortunate to have a great boss today as well. Um, a boss needs to be transparent. They need to be honest, and they also need to to be a, a support mechanism because most bosses generally have pretty good experience. That's why they get to their level. Um, and you know, you just have to understand we're all going to make mistakes. And we all make mistakes in business. The key is learning from those mistakes, and and most importantly, if you're going to fail, fail really quickly, right? And and um, so a lot of that is is you know you look throughout the years, it was a it was just a communication, um, mentorship, your you, you support, but you do what's right, and if you always do it right, and as the saying goes, Tom, one of my favorite sayings is. It is amazing what can get accomplished if you don't care who takes credit for it. And that absolutely holds in every aspect of life. Too many people want to get credit, right? Good things happen to good people. And and if you don't care who gets credit for it, at the end of the day, ultimately, everyone gets credit for it. And everyone gets to know really who, who really moves the needle, right? everybody wins then as well. Absolutely.
0: And you keep your nose to the grindstone and and you'll be successful. And and, uh, that is great advice. Specifically, we have a lot of younger people that are out that listen to this podcast and want to learn from business mentors and entrepreneurs. And that is a great piece of advice, folks. It doesn't matter who gets the credit, just get the job done. Now, great piece of advice. So you're working for Federal and Federal has been owned by several different companies. So this is prior to the Vista outdoor days.
1: Yeah. So Federal has been through several owners, you know, we're in our hundredth year next week, as a matter of fact. But when I joined the company, we were owned by a company called ATK, which was Alliant Tech Systems out of Minnesota Um, and ATK was a big defense, aerospace and defense company that owned an ammo company because they had a lion powder, honestly. Um, so then, so then ATK is this huge $4 billion company, um, buys, buys a, an ammo company. And at the time was a, just a couple hundred million dollar company. It wasn't, you know, federal wasn't nearly what it was today. And then ATK had, uh, spun us out. And I call us, we went on to buy, um, Black Hawk, Eagle, Savage Firearms. And then, so then we were really, if you look at how, how our commercial products at the time was made up, it was an ammo, firearms, and holster company. You really didn't fit in with sending people to the moon, literally. So we did a reverse Morris Trust, and we separated ATK, if you will. The aerospace and defense business went one way as a publicly held company, our companies, you know, at the time, Savage, Blackhawk, Federal, CCI, Spear in a state, then we formed an old, our own publicly held company called Vista Outdoor. So Vista Outdoor is the commercial facing of what was spun out of a huge aerospace and defense company. So we both are publicly traded and ATK no longer exists. They got sold again, gobbled up by a, by a big behemoth. in um, Vista Outdoor, has acquired a lot of brands um since then and you know i think we have 39 major brands today um so the ammo segment is the biggest segment piece of it but uh, how how federal has went through the transitions all these years is still pretty fascinating you know i've been with the company 18 years i think or 17 or 18 and we we have we have been through so many transitions it's just you know what it's just It's the norm now, which is good because you you got to be flexible in business and you have to adapt. And we've done it my whole career. I've been able to do it. So it's just kind of if it was stagnant and in steady state would be kind of boring.
0: You know, for all for all the people that listen and they think, well, geez, you became the president and this happened really fast. We just heard you say we're at 17, 18 years now. So let's go back and talk about that progression, how that worked and how you worked your way up and obviously into many different leadership positions to set yourself up for this role. So let's go back, you know, those years and and talk about some of those positions and what you learned that you could parlay into the next role that you had within the company.
1: Yeah. So from from Walmart, you know, I was was successful on, on the Walmart account because I lived and breathed it every day. I mean, that's all I studied. And um, at the same time, we had a a boss that was very, very um, high on further education as I am to this day. I think education is the best tool to advance a career if you use it right. Um, So I went on to graduate school, got my master's degree, and then I got promoted from national account manager to regional manager. So I got to got to expand my territory instead of just Walmart, you know. Then the territory became essentially the central United States. So in that that encompassed not only Walmart, that encompassed you know, buy group dealers, independent dealers, distributors. So I got a larger aspect of how federal at the time went to market, whether it be a mom and pop store to Walmart and everything in between. Um, so that was a, a regional manager. And I did that job, I think, for like three or four years. And then uh, I got to become director at Federal. And when we were director, we, the way we went to market is we split up retail and wholesale and independent dealers. So um, I was in charge, director of sales for all of retail, which at the time was, you know, think of Cabela's, Bass Pro Shops, Walmart, Big Five, Dick Sporting Goods, you know, so then you got to really focus on the Walmart learned me and prepared me for all of that analytical data that the big retailers use today. You know, you got to, you have to justify the space because that space is really, really expensive. So when you're looking at your business, you know, you own space on that shelf, but the space better perform to meet the financial metrics of whatever that account goes by. From there, um, I got promoted the vice president of retail sales for federal Um, so essentially the same job, just you know, more visibility to a CEO, more visibility to to the greater, if you will, the greater good of the company. And then we went, um, then we formed Vista, and then Vista went on the acquisition mode. You know, Bushnell was under our umbrella then. You know, then we went and bought Camelback, we went and bought uh Belgiro helmets. So the way the company at the time was was doing it was a more of a operating model versus a holding company model. So it's more centralized, you know, so I was a senior vice president of sales for the whole company. So not only ammunition then, but also for Camelback or also for Belgiro and, and some of the some of the outdoor brands on the outdoor product side of the business. And what that got me was experience, you got to get out of your comfort zone. I know ammo. I thought at the time, like I knew ammo, I could tell you the difference in calibers and ballistic coefficients and all that cool stuff that I lived to breathe for 20 years, but it got, it, 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 you have to get out of your comfort zone. Just another, another lesson that I sometimes painfully, you know, we all want to just do what we know and, and not, not spread our wings if you will. But that also got me visibility to the board of directors, because then you, re- I reported directly to the CEO, gets you board of directors, which being a publicly held company like we are, that is great experience. They don't teach you in graduate school. And then, you know, at the corporate executive level, it's just it's you can see what really churns a company on the financial side, whether it be, you know, um, I can give you a thousand examples there, but, you know, what a publicly, the analytics of a public company are different than uh, a Duluth Pack, for instance. So it gave me a broad, broad experience of really what runs the big machine, you know, the big VSTO ticker. I was in charge of sales for all of it. So um, it, it, it certainly teed me up well for this job, which I think I've been in this job for almost five years now. Um, and it, it allows you to have your own P and L, which is very big, you know? So it's, it's the way I look at my job today, it's 4,500 families count on me and our teams not to screw it up. Right. So it's, it's, you know, the, the, the families that work for us and make ammunition every day, we have to never lose sight of that because they are the ones going home. And, and literally depending on the decisions that we make, so they have a job tomorrow. So what my senior vice president of sales did is it allowed me to see the broader aspect of a business before you own your own profit and loss, right? When you own your own PL, you look at everything. You look at absorption, you look at direct labor, you look at overhead, marketing, sales spend, you know, Tom, you, you look at absolutely everything, but. I think it's very, very important. You never lose sight of the workers. You know, again, they without us making ammunition every day, I don't have a job, and and I and and you can't lose sight of something that is maybe viewed as insignificant is very significant to the family, and um, and I think that's just sometimes. Sometimes I think power when you know power is 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 good but power can also lead to some stupid decisions and you always have to be grounded in reality and grounded in there's 4,500 people who, who require me to make the right decisions. So they have a job tomorrow. And that's just always been the way I've looked at business. It's, it's just, it's the greater good. It's not me.
0: You know, uh, you and I've had this conversation before that those Employees rely on us, but we rely on them just as much as they rely on us because there is no job in, in your company or, or my company that is more important than the next job, because it takes every single person to make it happen. And, Absolutely. and I and 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 I hope that the employees also understand how serious you take that, and business leaders do take that responsibility that. Number one, they rely on us, but we rely on them. And there, we're no because we maybe have a fancy title doesn't make us any more important than anybody else in the in the whole organization.
1: Absolutely, and and you got to treat everyone the exact same.
0: Jason, what are some of the goals moving forward for Vista Outdoor, specifically within? your realm of what you do. And folks, today we are talking to Jason Vanderbrink, the President of Ammunition at Vist Outdoor, and he is responsible for Federal, CCI, Spear, Remington, and Heavy Shot. This is a huge job. What are some of the plans moving forward? Obviously, we'll get into in a minute the, the whole situation about this is your hundredth anniversary. How cool is that to lead the company this year? But what
1: are some of your goals moving forward? Our, our goals is, is uh, you know, always focus on the end consumer. So the the not the customer that we sell to, but the user of our product. They always, you know, Steve Jobs always said you focus on the end and work backwards. So we we do that as well. What, what can we make with our expertise? that the end user is saying that we need to make, whether it be terminal ascent, which is the best hunting round made um, for rifle ammo or TSS for turkey shell. And who would ever thought you can kill a turkey at 70 yards with TSS, right? I mean, so we focus steadfastly on the end user and with our scale and expertise and our four manufacturing facilities, we can give the end user exactly what they need. And if the end user is happy, Tom, the the company will flourish if you run a disciplined company and the end user likes your product and is loyal to your product you're 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 in pretty good spot and that's that's all we focus on generally you know you
0: narrated a video last year and i know that i called you right after i saw it because through covid and some of the changes that have gone on the demand for ammunition has gone through the the roof and and Mm -hmm so many people had 2% of the story, but 100% of the answers out there. And, uh, and, and I know you put out a video that in our discussions, you said that could have backfired really bad, uh, but we needed to say what we needed to say. Can you share with the listeners what really got you to the point of, of putting out a YouTube video and what that was about and, and the response to it?
1: Yeah, so the video was uh, first time that we really went out and and really tried to tell our story because sometimes uh, you, you go to forums or rumors, you go crazy. At the time, you know, people were saying we weren't making ammunition, we're not going twenty four seven, we're putting it in warehouses, we're giving it to the all of it to the to the government, and you know the 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 reasoning of the of the message was to be the source of truth. Whether or not people want to understand that, that's up to those folks. They can still think I'm a aware and they, whatever they think. We had to get the message out that we're at 24-7. We're making more ammo than we've ever had. Um, we're not giving it all to the government. We're not putting it in secret warehouses. Because the, you had to watch the morale of the workforce because they're working 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day, working all the overtime we can work. And people were just, were just a lot of fallacies out there. So we just, I just wanted to set the record straight that we're making everything we can. You can't, anyone who's ran a factory knows we can't magically snap our fingers tomorrow and, and double our capacity. It doesn't happen that way. And it was at the end of the day, it is literally as simple as we wanted to be the truth teller. And we wanted to own the message because the messages that were out there were just hundred percent false I think we got two million views or over two million views on that one one video now and, and how
0: was it received you know you have a lot of views but there was a lot of negativity because you know me as a consumer JV I was going in the store and trying to buy some 12 gauge shells and good luck with that right You couldn't find any and I wanted to go shoot some sporting clays or, or whatnot so what was the response from people after you you gave that message?
1: Yeah, so we did. We do analytics on everything that we do. You know, we're a really analytical company. What works, what doesn't work. We had over ninety percent positive. So the folks that uh, that really wanted to understand the truth or or cared to understand the truth, they got the message. There's also a subset of of, of listeners who still to this day don't believe we're making all the ammo we can. Um, and you know what, everyone believe what they want to believe, Tom, and that's fine. We're in, we live in the best country in the world. I'm just telling you, we're telling the truth. We're making as we can. And that subset of people, I don't know what we can do to them. I, we, we're, we're trying our hardest, you know, supply chain challenges, everything today, you know, but at the end of the day, if we wanted to go expand capacity in some manner, that's a multi-year project and especially with supply chain, it's multi, multi years now. And you just have to, you you know, you have to weigh the gamble is the return on investment there. Um, And we've certainly expanded capacity, you know, but at the time we just, we just had to get that message out there. And it certainly resonated very well with, with, uh, with the analytics that we sell.
0: Oh, that's, that's awesome. And I know we've had discussions about it. So I, that was a little bit of a loaded question. Um, I knew some of your comments uh, post that question, but folks, what I can tell you is I know JV and I know a lot of the people at Fist uh, at Outdoor and at Federal and, and their workers are working themselves to the bone trying to make this happen for you. And you can't, like you said, you can't just flick the switch and double capacity tomorrow. It takes equipment and infrastructure to make it happen. So I know that what your your story is, is, is true because I've been there. Um, I've, I've seen it and walked those halls with you. So that's, that's awesome. JV, what are some of the challenges? Obviously, you're at maximum capacity. Obviously the need and the want for ammunition and yes a whole bunch of us are are guilty of hoarding Um, when when you get it you get it and you hold on to it but but capacity is is uh is at its premium for you what are your challenges coming up if we had to say the next 12 to, to 24 months
1: uh labor and labor and supply chain
0: from a supply chain standpoint, what what is is the issue for you right now?
1: You know, it depends on, on what day <laughs> then it could be something as minor as a chemical that is needed to wash brass. It could be something as major as a major component, such as lead and brass. Um, but the supply chain as the world is is undergoing, you know, look at the semiconductor business, you know. Um, we're, we're certainly no different. Um, and, and the supply chain is just the team has done a tremendous job keeping us uh, going as, as long as they have. Um, but you just it, but also, I think the key to this is you 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 learn so much under the times that you're under right now because it forces you to be nimble. It forces you to think out of the box. It forces you, to instead of a maybe if we do b so the way i look at it it's certainly not any fun because there's a, a lot of stress but at the end of the day when this when the supply chain constraints are are over we are a much better company because we have learned so much of the stuff that we never thought of or the stuff that that you know is just complacency it's it's a much much as painful as it is now it's a better thing long term
0: and i know you and i both as as business leaders you're in a whole different scale than what we are here but when when times are good and you're pushed to the limits and capacity we would much rather see this than scurrying trying to find business and, and, and unearthing every stone that you turn over to, to sell them one more product because we're, we're at the point of, gosh, do we have to lay people off? So these are, these are problems. Exactly. And, and I do want people to know that don't feel bad for us. They're stressful for you. And I know that they are, but you'd rather be in this position than, than uh, what some others are today.
1: Yeah, I just just you know, just to our customers, you know, to your listeners, trust, trust us. We're doing everything we can in these times, and we have forty five hundred workers every day that's doing it. So uh, hang with us, patient, and uh, we, we we trust us. We want to make ammo so everyone can enjoy as well.
0: And 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 that's very believable for me because I know you as as a friend. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about conservation. Your companies are huge in conservation. For our listeners, can you tell us some of the initiatives that you have in conservation? You're not just an ammunition manufacturer. You give back so much.
1: Yeah, it's part of our DNA. Um, We have to give back, and conservation is paramount. Because, listen, as hunters, we we are the largest conservationists there are. You can look at many success stories like the wild turkey, Um, you you know, you can go on and on and on about hunters have saved conservation. And, you know, back in the 30s, we had a federal law called the Robertson, Pittman Robertson Act, where 11% of our excise tax goes to conservation. So when people say, well, hunters are just trophy hunters and they don't care about the game. It's absolutely wrong because 11% of our money strictly goes back to conservation. And that way our generations can just be in awe of what nature has to offer. It doesn't matter if you're up kayaking in the boundary waters, some of our money goes to that. If you're out in Utah hunting mule deer, it goes to conservation of that. So our DNA of a company is conservation has to be at the forefront because we all wanna enjoy it. We all wanna save it for generations to come because it is such a cool thing when you're out in nature, whether it be hiking, whether it be angling or, or hunting, you there is nothing better than being in nature and being out there and enjoying what this great country has to offer. And it all is, a lot of it is funded by shooters and hunters.
0: No question whatsoever. And I know you guys have been at the forefront of it since day one. And it didn't take an act uh, to make you guys do it because you do so many things above and beyond just the 11% excise tax um, and and so many things that your companies are involved in that are giving back to strictly for conservation. So I will thank you for that because you're a large company and you give a lot of money to the things that many of us that are listening here today uh, actually get to do and get to enjoy because of the acts of your company. So not every company has a 100th anniversary, and you get to be at the lead of it when Federal Ammunition is having its 100th anniversary. Can you tell us some of the things that, that your company is doing this year and some of the, the, the celebrations that you're going to have? And, you, and like you said, we're, we're talking right now in mid-April, and next week, I believe, yep. is the actual
1: 100th birthday. Yeah, April 27th, uh, next year is our federal turns 100. So that's 0.5% of all companies in the United States make it to 100 years. So um, it is very humble to to lead the company that's got so many great aspects of community and service and conservation. So we're having a huge party in June. Um, You know, we sponsor Ted Nugent. Ted will be here doing a concert for all of our partners and employees and retirees we have Lee Greenwood coming. he's gonna do a concert on the same day, you know, and then two other things that's way cool. We're having two Medal of Honor recipients join us. Um, so, uh, you know, forefront to us is, is service and service comes in many ways. It not only is it military, but you know, you can community as well, but we're having um, two Medal of Honor recipients come and share their stories because teamwork is, is paramount in our company. Obviously, teamwork is, is big, big in, in the military. So I was doing some research when we're doing the Medal of Honor. There's only 66 living Medal of Honor recipients in the United States today. So we have two of them coming in, in June. And we have a guy by the name of Clint Romesha. So Clint was in Afghanistan, um, wrote a book called uh, The Red Platoon. You know, uh, Jake Tapper just did a movie called The Outpost. And that's about uh, Clint uh, in, in uh, Afghanistan. And actually it's been over 50 years. There's been two Medal of Honor recipients from Clint's, um, Clint's unit there in Afghanistan. So Clint will be joining us. Uh, he comes from us from Minot, North Dakota. Great guy, he was a Sergeant at the time. You know, and then we have Sammy Davis. So Sammy Davis was uh, in Vietnam and uh, was in the Army there, gonna tell us a story of there. And what's a u- unique fun fact about Sammy is Sammy was the Medal of Honor recipient in the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, when, they, when they do the Medal of Honor recipient, um, that's, that's Sammy, Sammy Davis. And a funny thing, not funny, but I, I met Sammy probably five years ago at a, at a National Rifle Association Golden Jacket Award. And Sammy, there was 25 of us there for the NRA and Sammy got up and in, in front of the table and he, he said one of the things that got him through Vietnam was he'd play a harmonica every morning and he played the song Shenandoah um, and that helped him get through the, the Vietnam era. And so Sammy's going to come here with a harmonica and he's going to play Shenandoah in front of our 5,000, 5,500 people, how many we got coming. But uh, what an honor. For two Medal of Honor recipients to join us in June, we couldn't be more happy, um, and, and absolute humbled. Right? Oh I mean, my goodness! It, you know, it's just you just don't think of you know a, a small company back in the day in 1922 to what it is today, and um, it's we're just going to be a great party. It's going to be a, a great celebration for the community. You know, Anoka, Minnesota is home, and the community loves our company. We love our our community. And uh, another, another good lesson is no matter what you do in life, try to help out others in, in, in their DNA at Federal. We paid for the city hall in Anoka, for, for instance. We bought the first swimming pool for the city. Um, we, we helped fund the law enforcement center in Anoka last year. So you have to belong part of your community. And whether it be the personal connection or business connection, You know, there's always something higher than us as individuals, and that can be done in many ways. At federal, it's always been to support the community, whether it be like building them a a city hall. You know, Tom, you look up the Anoka City Hall, it's shaped like a pistol, believe it or not because federal federal paid for it in the fourth Well I
0: just <laughs> learned about that this weekend reading a book about it so it's it's pretty cool and and all the giving back that you've done. we talked about the conservation and you know your community and, and as you talk about that. So congratulations on the hundredth anniversary that's that's pretty stinking cool and you said it's what it's point what of companies. five 05 percent of companies that make it to a hundred years. In this country, and and you're having your hundredth year. That that's pretty cool. You know, we're yeah, it you is. got a little bit to catch up to us. I got to poke a little fun. We're in our hundred and fortieth year this year, so uh, we got you by just a little.
1: Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I love our, it. our party won't be
0: nearly as big. I promise you, it won't be <laughs> <laughs> nearly as big. <laughs> yeah, um, let's talk about. Some of the other giving back that you do as a leader of a company and, and uh, from the standpoint of the NSSF that you and I both know so well, which is the National Shooting Sports Foundation, is that you are on the board of governors. Can you tell us about your tenure there and, and a little bit about your your involvement with NSSF?
1: Yeah, so so NSSF is the is the trade the Industry Trade Association for the Firearms and Ammunition uh, side of the manufacturing. So they have a board of governors and NSSF puts on the SHOT Show. So the SHOT Show is property of the NSSF. Um, So it's an elected position. We're obviously a major player in the firearms and the ammunition space. So I've been elected. uh, I think this is my fifth or sixth year I've been on the board there. Um, And it's, it's, it's just part of you know, since we're a major player and we all care about the industry so much, we give time back to the industry. Um, so we just do that. And, you know, there's the NSSF does so much for our industry. You know, it could be they were the they were really the critical functions. You know, when COVID had the shutdowns, it was NSSF that really pushed have critical manufacturing. So the so sporting goods places, whether it be retailers and manufacturers, stayed open weren't shut down, um, that really NSSF spearheaded that. Um, They just do so much for the industry. You know, when you think of uh, gun locks, so so people lock up their guns, we've given out 35 million gun locks in the United States. So everyone who owns a firearm has a responsibility to own it and, and learn the safety protocols of that firearm. You know, so our industry is actually at the forefront of gun safety. And we fund it and we put our money where our mouth is. So everyone who wants a gun lock can get a gun lock for free. We donate a lot to suicide prevention because it's, it's, you know, we care about, we care about all of our customers and, you know, so we do partnerships with, uh, you know, to help prevent suicide because it's just still too many suicides in the United States. What can we do to help that? So we help fund that, you know, and then, you know, we do so much on the legislative front. When we've talked about the excise tax of of Pittman Robertson, NSSF led Congress to change that that states can now use those funds to build gun ranges. What's our biggest problem today? I want to go shoot but I don't have a go play I don't have a place to go shoot. So now states can use the the matching funds to go build gun ranges, so the public can have more access to shooting ranges. That's all 100% done by the National Shooting Sports Foundation. It's just, you know, how do we, how do we make ourselves as an industry more mainstream? um, And NSSF is just working all of the tentacles, whether it be at the state houses, at the at the U.S. House or Senate. You know, it's just we need to keep an eye out of how do we grow the business, how do we give greater access to hunting and shooting. And that's part of what we do at the NSSF.
0: JV, what are some of your responsibilities as a board of uh, governor of the NSSF, and, and how often do you get together with the group uh, to meet and and make, uh, help make policy for
1: the industry? Yeah, so we have four board meetings plus two off board meetings, so six board meetings a year, um, and then you know we we were just at the in Washington D.C. meeting with all the legislators. Uh, week or two weeks ago it was to really stress fair access and banking you know so so banks can't discriminate against guns and ammo companies you know that's a big legislative priority for us so it's about six times a year that we meet and uh you know we we certainly stay in touch uh, as much as often as we need to
0: how can listeners support or join nssf
1: Go to the NSSF website, National Shooting Sports Foundation website, and uh, and if you're a business, we certainly uh, would have you as a member. And there's different membership levels, or if you just want to do a cash donation to the NSSF, or you know you could do it for a political action committee. They have their own back, or just to help out, you know, because it's such a great organization that runs much much deeper than just representing guns and ammo company. I mean, they really really touch a lot of aspects of hunting and shooting.
0: You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that sporting clay and trap shooting in high schools is the fastest growing sport in the United States of America. I know you're involved in it. Can you tell us the involvement that that Federal and and Vista Outdoor has with this mm-hmm. and the kids because it's a very safe sport. Yeah.
1: It is the safest sport, Tom, for high school and college. Um, that is not that is not Jason talking. That's a fact. Um, it's also the fastest growing, as you pointed out. But I challenge you to go to a high school that has a has a trap league today. And, and there's not a waiting list to get on that trap league. So people are just are learning they want to be outside. Trap shooting is fun. It's interactive. It gets them away from the video games. Um, so federal supports that. So we allow teams to buy ammunition directly from us that way they don't, when season is here, as it is now, I don't know if spring's ever going to come in Minnesota, (laughs) but if that way, when, when the season comes, they have ammunition for the team. And we support that directly by those teams, buying ammunition directly from us. So, so we don't have to worry about in 10 years that there's no kids shooting trap. We think it's part of our DNA of giving the trap teams the tools so they continue to grow, most importantly, so they understand the outdoors and they'll be here, customers forever, whether it be from us or from someone else, just get outside and enjoy what, what we have to offer.
0: Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, that, yes. that's the next generation and that's the future of sports that we love so much and, and a safe sport, like you said the safest of all the sports people don't blow a lot of knees out and and uh and no. shoulders uh out when uh you're you're trap shooting so let's talk about you personally a little bit we're going to go a little bit personal on you and and you obviously you're in the the hunting realm and and you know tell us what your favorite hunting experience has been
1: oh boy good question my favorite hunting experience is taking my daughter turkey hunting every year. Without question, she is, uh, she'll be 10 next month. And I can guarantee you when we see a gobbler coming in the decoy, that daddy is more nervous than Grace. So without question, Grace turkey hunting. Personally, um, you know, I love sheep hunting. I think hunting in Mongolia this last year was probably one of the coolest experiences I've ever done. Um, it, it's just a unique culture with the nomads hunting in a hunting. When you look at the Argalis over there, they were almost extinct. They protected hunters go there. The local communities get the money from the hunters. So now your populations of the game are flourishing because there's a value now on that animal. When there's a value on an animal, no poachers going to do that. They're going to police themselves. So You can look at L- in, in Africa, you can look at many, many different examples. If the animal has a value, locals don't poach it because they want the money from it. So hunters bring that in and then they, they're going to go harvest an animal, a mature animal that is probably kicked out of the herd that is past its prime, and brings in all of the money to the local communities. And guess what happens? The game flourishes because the natives protect it. So people need to understand that about hunting. It's the hunters who protect the game and the locals get the resources from it. And it's a win-win. That's a a hard
0: argument at times, but it is a true uh, statement and the data just proves it. And like you said, you're data-driven, I know you are. Um, and, And what you just said there very much uh, is, is meaningful information. Uh, you work for an ammunition company, so you get to shoot a lot. Uh, have you ever missed?
1: I've missed more than most. <laughs> <I have>. So, <laughs> you know, I always hear about the, the person shooting a deer with a six, five Creedmoor running across the field at 500 yards. I'm like this deer standing at 50 yards. So I must be just a bad shot. But, uh, if you have hunted a little bit, you miss anyone who hasn't missed, um, I, 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 I certainly have I'll leave it at that
0: I can tell you last year I also went old school um, I and I sent you a picture of this I took out my old 3030 that I that I purchased no scope on it it's a peep site that I purchased with paper route money over 40 years ago and uh, shot a deer this year with
1: federal ammo that's the good. 30, that would old, it's, it's either got to be federal or remick. It was it
0: was, uh, it was federal. And you know, uh, this came up and I took a note here as we, as you were talking there that the very first place that I applied for a job when I graduated college was that federal. No It was and I did not get hired. And so my whole career yep. took a different path, luckily for you, I guess. <laughs> I would would have been thrown out long ago. So (laughs) Jason, we have a segment on every one of our podcasts that we call the packed question segment. And this is just kind of rapid fire. And uh, it's it's all about you. If you could choose from one person in history
1: to sit down and have dinner with, who would it be and why? Ronald Reagan, without question, I, I, I idolize Ronald Reagan, his policies, his, his communication skills without, question, I think it would be Ronald Reagan. What question would you first
0: want to ask him?
1: Was it a hard, was it a hard decision to fire the air traffic controllers right after you got elected? Ooh,
0: that had to be, that was a very, that, very
1: tumultuous times. Exactly. <laughs>
0: wow. Yes. What is the best piece of life or professional advice that you have ever received?
1: Work hard and good things will happen to you.
0: Boy, I'll tell you, we hear that from more business leaders, that one piece of advice that they were given from somebody that all sums it up is that you work, you have to just Mm -hmm. work hard every day. Yep. Wow. That yep. That is, it's just a common theme on leaders like yourself. What is your single personal professional accomplishment?
1: Personal professional accomplishment. Um, winning the debate at the university of Oxford, you know, Oxford, uh, the university has never had a test. They debate everything. So uh you, you debate your professors and and I won the debate and, and uh, that's probably it. It's just a, it's a neat, 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 fun bit. Can you share with us what that debate was about? It was about immigration. No kidding. I, I debated, I debated about immigration to, uh, to, to some, some professors and I, I won the debate. And when you do it at Oxford, they put your name up on the wall permanently that, you know, you're the big debate winner. So just, just kind of a, it, that in and, and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee, though, Tom. So. <laughs> and JV, what's your favorite movie? Favorite, Forrest Gump. And you probably watch it on a lot of plane rides. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and it, to Forrest Gump, I don't know why, it just kind of gives you, you don't have to worry about everything. And Tom Hanks was such a, it's just a cool story. It, certainly that would be a good, good lighthearted movie. Yep. JV, can you give
0: us the handles? So if people want to learn more about uh, Vista Outdoor, all of the brands under the Vista umbrella, can you give us the handles from the the uh, the website to the social handles?
1: Yeah, so it's it's vistaoutdoor.com. And on our main website, we list all of the brands. You know, we own 30, 39 different brands. What we're under is CCI ammunition, Federal Cartridge Company, Remington ammunition, Spear Ammunition, Heavy Shot Ammunition um, can all be found on the Vista Outdoor website or just Googling the brand names. You know, our we Vista is essentially an it's it's a holding company. It's a family of brands. So the brands really have their own DNA. So on the ammo side, every brand has their own website. What'd you think of the book the team put together? Pretty, pretty damn cool, wasn't it? It, so Vista put together a book for the hundredth
0: anniversary of Federal. Jason sent me a copy of it. I sat down and I read it cover to cover. Your your team did an absolutely amazing job. I read it yeah. cover to cover. I learned about you know the Fauche Tower and I didn't realize they were driving back and forth and they were running the paychecks to everybody. It was it was amazing. It was a great book. So thank you very much for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an awesome job. No, it's an awesome job.
0: Jason, thank you for being here. Folks, today, our special guest, and I have learned so much from this guy, and he's such a good friend, is Jason Jason Vanderbrink, the President of Ammunition at Vista Outdoor. Jason, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks, Tom. It was fun, and uh, let's go kill a turkey this spring, okay?
0: And folks, until next time, unplug from the indoors and recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast, and we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack, And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American